Coming up on BBP News, we have an update on the debt ceiling, and there is a big 2024 presidential announcement from Nikki Haley. Along with some big Supreme Court cases that are coming up within the next two weeks. Welcome back, everyone. It is Friday, February 17th, and we're back for another news episode here. Chris, start us off in the normal Friday morning fashion by giving us the weather headed into this weekend. In Los Angeles, California, it is cloudy with a high of 68 degrees with a sunny weekend. In Houston, Texas, it is partly cloudy, 55 degrees with a partly cloudy weekend. And in Chicago, Illinois, it is partly cloudy, 28 with a partly cloudy weekend. And in New York City, it is raining with a high of 62 degrees with sun on Saturday, but clouds moving in for Sunday. What a difference. 62 in New York City, 28 in Chicago. You know, typ- I'll keep it. Typically... Those are our two, I'd say, closest cities in temperature. Um, definitely not this time around. Jeez. But I mean, Just a reminder, it's only February it, 17th, and it's not um, it's April 17th. Degrees. Right. That's scary. And it was 60. You were just saying that where, where you're at, it was 61 the other day? Yeah. 61. Got outside, opened the pool, went for a swim. You know the deal. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be swimming in that. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I guess not. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep you the master. Since you own the pool, we'll just allow you to be pool master. Thank you. I am a good pool master. But uh, we have a lot of news to get into today. A lot of news going on. Yeah, we do. So let's jump right in. So they still aren't saying exactly what these objects were that were shot down over the weekend. And even though NORAD commander says he's not ruling anything out, the National Security Council... Uh, said we can re- rule out aliens. And the White House did confirm a few things this week about the three objects shot down on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They were not maneuverable. They did not self-propel, and they were moving very slowly. They did not appear to be surveilling the United States, nor were they transmitting signals. So really, there are two questions here on what's happening. Uh, are we being attacked by these things? And two, why don't we know what they are yet? The answers to these questions, according to the NSC, will come from the debris. The problem here is that the debris is actually really hard to get to at the moment because they all fell in three very remote regions of the world. The one shot down on Friday landed in a remote area in Alaska, and it fell in the water which is currently frozen over. The one on Saturday is being recovered in a remote area of the Yukon in Canada, and the one from Sunday fell on the Canadian side of Lake Huron. The objects shot down on Friday and Saturday were flying at 40,000 feet, and the one on Sunday was flying at 20,000 feet, which does threaten air traffic, and that's why, according to the White House, they were shot down in the first place. We may have bought ourselves a couple of extra months before the United States actually defaults on our federal debt, but there's one big wild card. The Congressional Budget Office released a report Wednesday saying, based on their calculations, the United States Treasury Department can keep up those gimmicks to keep the U.S. afloat until a window of between July to September. The Treasury Secretary originally thought the U.S. would default in June. I know July to September is a super vague timeline, but the CBL report says there's one wild factor in their calculation that we've missing. 
Yeah, and that factor is how much revenue the IRS will bring in when taxes are due in April. Until they know that number, they can't accurately predict when the U.S. will default. And we've reported on several different occasions that the U.S. has already hit the debt ceiling and the Treasury Department is using these, quote, extraordinary gimmicks to keep the U.S. afloat. But that can't go on forever, of course, as we know Congress needs to act. And again, it's important to understand that raising or suspending the debt ceiling does not authorize any new spending. It only pays the bills Congress already racked up over decades. Everything is so expensive and you might be wondering, when is it going to go down? The bottom line is you aren't imagining it. Things are more expensive than last year. That's according to the Consumer Price Index report. So the slight good news is inflation isn't going up. The report found the cost of all stuff we buy, sell, and eat was 6.4% more expensive in January 2023 than it was in January 2022. That's high, but technically it's down from December when inflation was at 6.5%. But that doesn't mean things aren't expensive. They absolutely are. And the biggest culprits to all this are shelter, food, and energy. The cost of shelter was nearly 8%, 7.9% higher this year than it was last year. That goes for renters and homeowners alike. And food was up more than 10% year over year. Food at home was up 10.1%. And food away, such as at restaurants, is up 11.3%. Egg prices in January are up 8.5% from December and up more than 70%, 70.1% to be specific, since January of 2022. In terms of energy... In January, it wasn't gas prices for your car, up 1.5%, driving up inflation. Again, they were only up that 1.5% over January of last year. It was the cost of electricity and gas for your home that was driving up these inflation numbers. Between January 2022 and January 2023, electricity was up almost 12%, 11.9% to be specific, and gas for your home was up almost 27%, to be specific, 26.7%. So between this report showing inflation is not drastically coming down, plus the blockbuster jobs report we reported on a few weeks ago, this could signal to the Federal Reserve more interest rate hikes for a longer period of time are needed to get inflation back down to that more normal 2%. Americans were shopping in January, and that's according to the advanced monthly sales report from the U.S. Census Bureau. The report found in January, Americans spent $697 billion. That's 3% more than we spent in December 2022 and 6.4% more than January 2022. So what were we spending money on? Food services and drinking places were up 7.2%, cars and parts were up 5.9%, and home furnishings are up 4.4%. January's increase comes after two months of spending declines, and these numbers are seasonally adjusted but not adjusted for inflation. Wholesale prices in January were also up 7% from before. Whatever happened to that student loan forgiveness program, I'm glad you asked because we are less than two weeks away from some action, but something President Biden just did may undermine the entire forgiveness program. 
So here's what's going on. The Supreme Court will hear two cases this month to determine whether President Biden's student loan forgiveness program is legal. I have talked about those cases, me and Nick have, in great detail, Biden versus Nebraska and the Department of Education versus Brown. One case is being brought by six GOP-led states who say President Biden usurped the power of Congress by setting up this program on his own, and the other case is brought by real student loan borrowers who say because they only qualify for $10,000 forgiveness instead of the $20,000 program, it isn't fair. President Biden and the Justice Department have said from the beginning that the president and the Department of Education have the right to create and implement the student loan forgiveness program using the emergency powers given to them from the HEROES Act of 2003. The law was passed in the wake of another emergency, the September 11th attack. It says the Secretary of Education has the authority to reduce or eliminate the obligation to repay the principal balance of federal student loan debt during a period of time like war, a military operation, or a national emergency. The President and the Justice Department say because COVID-19 was declared a national emergency since 2020, the President and the Education Secretary have the right to partially forgive student loans under the HEROES Act. Now, here's what may throw a wrench in that argument. The president just announced a few weeks ago that the national emergency for COVID-19 will end on May 11th. So if the emergency is over, is the program really still necessary? The White House says absolutely because the program is meant to address the harm caused to borrowers over the two years of the pandemic and because of the economic disruptions. And we will have to see whether the Supreme Court agrees with that argument or not. The justices will hear Biden versus Nebraska and the Department of Education versus Brown on February 28th. The Supreme Court is also going to hear another case that could change the internet as we know it. It's called Gonzalez vs. Google. Before I explain the case, you have to understand that the 26-word law that some say created the internet this law allows all of us to post on the internet and experience it the way we do. Let me take you back to ancient times, way back into 1996. That's when Congress passed the Communication Decency Act. At the time, if we were lucky, we could all dial up the internet. There was no Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok, but we could all talk to our friends on AOL Instant Messenger. There was no Google, and the iPhone wouldn't be invented for another 11 years. All right, all right. Let's get out of the 90s now. All right. So think about the 90s when I tell you what Congress passed in the Communication Decency Act. It includes one section that deals with the Internet, Section 230. And it says these 26 words, quote, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, end quote. All right. So I'm going to ask a question that probably everyone is asking after Chris just read that. What? Basically, what it means is that internet hosting platforms of all kinds are protected from being sued because of the content that other people post on those platforms. Of course, there are exceptions for criminal activity, as we know. Now, of course, a lot has changed about the internet since 1990s, but Section 230 still stands strong today. And because the internet platforms generally can't be held liable, social media companies generally allow all of us to post what we want. Plus, the algorithm recommends that third-party content the way that the companies want us to see it. 
In recent years, of course, community guidelines have given users some guardrails, but for the most part, we can comment on blogs, we can leave reviews on Yelp, we can post to those social media platforms, and that's all because of Section 230. The companies basically know that they can't be sued for what we say on their platforms. And the courts have repeatedly upheld this law in favor of these companies. And that brings us to Gonzalez versus Google. Gonzalez is Nehemi Gonzalez, a 23-year-old American who lost her life in the Paris terrorist attacks in 2015. Her family sued Google, saying through its algorithms and because of the protection under Section 230, YouTube recommended videos that aided the Islamic State in promoting its propaganda. Google says upending Section 230 would harm free expression, and it would also make the internet less safe, and would probably cause all platform providers to rethink all of our abilities to post online. They say that those recommendations are what, quote, makes it possible to find the needles in humanity's largest haystack. The question that the justices now have to answer is, are those content recommendations also protected under Section 230? Or can internet companies be held liable for these things? The slope between providing access to content that you're not liable for and promoting that content is a very slippery one. Both the lower federal court and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled to deny hearing this case because of Section 230 protection. But after holding off hearing a Section 230 case for decades, now the justices will hear this one. Oral arguments in Gonzalez v. Google are scheduled for February 21st. Nikki Haley, the first woman in person of color elected to South Carolina's governor, became the first major candidate to commit to challenging former President Donald Trump for the 2024 Republican presidential nominee. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. References in high heels have been a longtime staple in political speeches for the 51-year-old former United Nations ambassador in the Trump administration. Her video also made the argument that there should be a generational change in leadership in this country. Whether that was a dig at former President Trump or President Biden, it is unclear. As of now, Haley is the only woman in the field as Republicans weigh in on whether to pick a new standard bearer who might lure some voters who dislike the former president. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem also may enter the GOP race this spring. Haley's entrance extends an already complicated relationship with her former boss, Trump, who launched his third consecutive White House bid in November and remains the party's dominant figure, even after disappointing GOP results in the past three national elections. Less than a week after a shooting rampage that killed three Michigan State University students and critically injured five more, details about the lives of the victims and gunmen are surfacing. Anthony Dwayne McRae, a 43-year-old man who police said had mental health issues, killed three students at the Earl Lansing campus. According to authorities, the victims are Ariel Anderson, remembered as a straight-A student, Alexandria Veemer, a three-sport high school athlete, and Brian Fraser, who led his 
fraternity and was called a great friend. In 2019, McRae faced a felony weapons charge for carrying a loaded firearm without a concealed weapons permit, but ultimately pleaded to a misdemeanor. If he had been convicted of the felony, he would have been barred from legally owning a gun, according to a Michigan County prosecutor. When confronted by authorities, McGray shot himself, that was on Monday night, with one of the two guns he had in his possession at the time. Police also found a note he wrote in a backpack he was carrying. The note is reportedly unhinged and makes references to other mass shootings and says McGray was going to, quote, finish off Lansing. It does not appear that McGray has any connection to Michigan State University. His father, Michael, has been talking with several media outlets that was on Tuesday and said that his son lied and told him that he no longer possessed a gun. He also said that his son lost it after his mother died. Quote, ever since my wife died, my son began to change. Michael McGray said, quote, he was getting more and more bitter, angry and bitter, so angry, evil angry. He began to really let himself go. His teeth were falling out. He stopped cutting his hair. He looked like a wolf man. The gunman who killed 10 black people in a shooting rampage at Buffalo supermarket was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. At an emotional hearing during which he faced a ton of anger from the victim's families, one unidentified man rushed at the suspect during the hearing before being restrained by law enforcement officers and his lawyer. 19-year-old Peyton Gendron planned the attack for months, targeting the Tops Friendly Market in a prominently black neighborhood of Buffalo, according to his online writings, which cited white supremacist conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic rants. Gendron, handcuffed and wearing orange prison clothes, recited a written apology for his crimes, saying he acted out of hate, but does not want other white supremacists to be inspired by his actions. Quote, I did a terrible thing that day. I shot and killed people because they were black, Gendron said. Quote, looking back now, I can't believe that I did it. Someone in the courtroom could be heard yelling, quote, you don't mean none of that. Gendron still faces federal charges in this case, and the death penalty is still on the table in that circumstance. Gendron's defense team said he'll plead guilty to the federal charges if the death penalty is taken off the table. Now, it's up to Attorney General Merrick Garland to decide whether that comes off the table or not. Getting into rapid news, two members of the Tennessee National Guard were killed when a Black Hawk helicopter crashed near Hansville, Alabama during a routine training mission. And former Vice President Pence confirmed that he will resist a subpoena from the special counsel leading the investigation into former President Trump. President Biden got his yearly physical on Thursday. We will have more details on what the physical found on Monday morning. Nick, what do you got for this Friday morning good news? All right. So for my good news story today, you know, we have every once in a while, we have a medical miracle story on this show. And this is another one right here. So Anna Burkhardt was born uh, and started missing a lot of those milestones that infants hit, you know, starting to grasp at things, uh, roll around, crawl, walk, all these different things. Um, and... As she continued to miss a lot of these milestones and had a lot of uh, difficulty moving around, her parents 
of course, brought her to a lot of different doctors, hospitals, experts to try and figure out what was going on. And it wasn't for a long time before they finally discovered that she had a rare genetic mutation called CASC, which basically causes a neuromotor condition where the child does have a very hard time with different motor skills, like I was just saying, with the walking, with grasping onto objects, uh, etc. But the parents started bringing her to... A care facility, a, uh, a therapy facility in Virginia who worked with children with different motor issues and different motor conditions. And they worked with her a lot, three to five hours a day, five days a week, and really just worked with her in all kinds of different ways to get her moving because they initially thought that she was going to be wheelchair bound, that she was going to be nonverbal, and that didn't turn out to be the case through these wonderful techniques and the wonderful efforts from these doctors and experts. They were able to get Anna talking, walking, really just hitting all of those milestones, even if they were a bit later on. You know, she was walking and talking by the time she was three and it's been 10 years since then and she's in middle school now riding the bus uh you know interacting on tiktok and all that so she has really come a long way and still uses some of those therapy techniques that you know they used way back then to make sure that this doesn't end up taking over again because you know there is still a little difficulty there with certain motor functions and it can you know kind of not relapse but you know what i'm trying to say in that regard um they can come back a little bit so she continues to use those therapy techniques that they learned so long ago and it turned out to be absolutely invaluable uh 10 years later as well not just for anna but for her sister bella who was born with the same condition they again started those therapy sessions and Bella has come a long way again like her sister she had a hard time you know meeting those different milestones but she's quickly advancing and really these therapy techniques are just saving these kids and mind you it's a very 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 rare disease it only affects about 300 infants worldwide and so the fact that they were able to figure out a way to overcome that to allow these children to have you know basically regular lives regular lives have friends be able to talk uh, and walk and interact and you know run around with those friends at school you know just have normal childhoods and normal lives where they very easily could have been wheelchair bound they very easily could have been nonverbal and had so many you know complications throughout their lives so this is just an absolute miracle story i love this story and i i think it's a great way to put a smile on everyone's face headed into this weekend that is the end of this friday morning news episode we will be back here sunday morning with a what to expect for the week of february 19th and of course monday morning with a news episode until then everybody enjoy the start to your weekend bye guys 